he gave me $10,000 when I finished his job for a Christmas bonus. $10,000 in cash. 10 grand. My wife was ecstatic at the time. I mean, we had never, ever seen $10,000 all at one time. At one time, it was, I mean, we had it laid out on the bed. We went and bought a camera to take pictures of the money. <laughs> it's a true story. Check it out. And then Tammy was posing with it. And then I was posing with it. And then we was having the kids hold it up in the air. 10 grand. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Built me my first race engine with it. this puppy up and let's get going uh this is the precipice this is episode number it could be number two could be number three depends on when we publish them it could be number one michael could be the could be the first episode we launch and i'm grateful for all of our listeners all of these conversations that we have on the precipice they are all rooted in what we hope to be truth hope and love and uh michael lenders our guest today i've got my host brad willoughby joining us. And Michael, what a beautiful day for you to be here. It is a beautiful day. I wish I could go swimming out there. Hey, maybe I did bring some trunks. I might make it out there. Well, you, so you can get in the water with your broken leg, but you can't uh, move around too. Can't really flap it around. No. I'd like to uh, go ahead and kick things over to Brad so we can, I don't know, Michael, you, I was telling Brad earlier, and we'll get into this as we hear more about your story. You're one of those men who has a really strong heart and a strong mind, but maybe sometimes it's a little too strong. And um, I can't wait to talk more about who you are and and how I got to know you. But Brad, you've known Michael, I guess a few, you've got to meet him a couple times now. Yeah. Yeah, kind of the same along the same lines that John's saying. Um, there's there's qualities about you that really stand out. Um, and I was uh, when the first time I met you up in LJ, I was really drawn to you because you remind me of that uh, older school guy. You know, kind of the the guys that are like, you know, you're going to have to kill me to get me to quit. And I love that a lot about people. And so uh, it's it's honor to be able to sit and talk with you and everything. So thanks for being here. Um, I wanted to to kind of talk to you a little bit and just ask you, you know, tell us a little bit about your childhood. Tell us about where you're from. When I first heard you talk, I was thinking Southeast, Alabama, something like that. But I found out something a little different than I expected. It's uh, in the Midwest, actually, Southern Illinois, okay. where uh, Indiana, Kentucky, and Illinois all come together. All right. You know, so 
uh, if you heard me, if you would go to Kentucky and hear some of those people talk, you, you would go, okay, yeah, I know where he's from now. Because now I have a little bit of Southern slang mixed in with that. I call it Southern Hick. You know, I'm saying Southern Illinois Hick. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't say you guys or Ewans is like they say in Kentucky. Hey, what Ewans doing? You know, I don't do all that. But, uh, and I myself, I don't sound like I'm very Southern in my head. But like most people, when you hear yourself talk, you're like, hey, please. You know, so. You sound pretty Southern. So from from Southern Illinois, <laughs> it's all farm country and uh, oil country and a lot of coal mines around there. Mm-hmm. Um, factories, uh, you know, champion laboratories. There's several of them around there, you know. But it's a depressed area. I mean, you don't, you can't make no money up there, you know. Uh, I mean, you can, but not like you can in the big city of Atlanta. You know, the opportunity there isn't well, nothing like it is around here. So, growing up up there, tell me, tell me about what it was like for you. Um, when, when were you made aware of that reality of kind of, kind of what that situation was? Well, I didn't really realize how poor and depressed it was until I left there. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought the guy that owned the grocery store, he's one of the richest guys in town. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, uh, you know, if somebody got a new car, the whole damn town knew about it. Wow. They got a brand new car. They must be rich. Must be. You know, because not very many people could afford to buy brand new cars. You know, uh, in 1985, if you bought a 1976 Dodge Monaco, that's considered a fairly new car. Ain't but eight, nine years old. You know what I'm saying? Uh, my first car that I bought whenever I was 13 was a uh, 65 Mustang. You know what I'm saying? Or 66, had a little three-speed in it, floorboard rusted out, you know. that, And that was an average of what most teenagers could get. Yeah. Now, Something you, like that. Did you have brothers and sisters? Oh, yeah. Three sisters and two brothers. Okay. Brady Butch. Gotcha. One of them was my twin sister. Okay. And so growing up there, you um, you grow up and tell me about school for you up there. Uh, I mean, school was, I mean, in my opinion, I had great teachers. The stuff that we learned in fifth grade now, most high school seniors didn't, don't know. Mm-hmm. Um very small town, 880 people, maybe 2,000 people in one of the towns I lived in. Uh, so, you know, you're, you're looking at, you know, 11 kids to a classroom, maybe eight. I remember second grade had three. They combined in Crossville, Illinois in 19, I want to say 78, 79. They combined second and third grade and they only had five. You know what I'm saying? But they combined those two. You know, because there's just not a lot of people up there. So you got a lot more with your teacher. Your teacher was a lot more one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And um, our teachers were also professionals after they got done teaching. Okay. You know, like my fifth grade teacher, and I'm going to use him for an example, but it goes for most of them. They had second jobs. They worked second shift at the coal mine or or they worked at the tire store or on a w- Saturday and Sunday they would pull uh, two 12-hour days working on an oil rig, 
you know, so they had other ways of making money, you know, but we always got a lot of attention. You know what I'm saying? Because there just wasn't a lot of kids in the classroom. Right. right. Well, one of the things that I've noticed about you is that you've got a lot of drive. You've got a lot of determination. So what, what brought you down here? Uh, or what's your, what was your journey and how did you get out of there and why did you get out of well, there? Well, I just, I had to leave. I mean, I, I, you know, at, you don't have to be an adult to go, okay, I'm in a bad situation. You, I mean, there's 10 year olds that know they're in a bad situation. You know, I wasn't 10 years old. I was 14, 15 years old, but I know I was in a bad situation. You know, when you're walking through your house and there's guys laying in your floor drunk, uh, your mom's passed out in the at, in the kitchen. Uh, you go to shut off the light and there's weed drying in the in the lamp. You you just you know you know you're in a bad situation. And uh, after kind of not going home, I mean going home briefly here and there, but staying at this friend's house, staying at that friend's house. Uh, well, it's not cold. I'm just gonna sleep in that car. Uh, or hang out over here, or whatever, just walk the damn streets all night. You know, it's like, well, what have I got to lose? I have nothing to lose. Yeah. So was that- And I have nothing to gain by staying here. I knew I could take better care of myself by the time I was 15. My twin sister, my little brother, was living with my grandma. My sister, Gina, had ran off with her uh, boyfriend to Texas. My brother, Greg, was either in jail or he might have been in Denver, Colorado with my cousin Bruce. And, uh, and uh, of course, there I was, you know. So one of the things that always interests me about stories like this is that you had this desire to get out of it and get away from it instead of become part of it. Do you remember ever having a battle of those thoughts or were you just like, I, I've got to get out of here. Like if I'm going to do something, I can't stay. Yeah, I was, I mean, I, I just knew, I, I knew really a year before there, before that, but you know, I was trying to go to school, you know what I'm saying? High school, but man, there's, you know, you, you want to do good and you get these, some of these teachers are good coaches and mm. this and that and the other. And, uh, uh, I had a drafting teacher. I can't remember his name. I'll I'll remember. My, I think it might have been Mr. Humphreys. But anyway, long story short, he told me, uh, you know, we had to one of the assignments we had to draw a house up, a floor plan, and then we had to yellow the electric and green the plumbing, whatever they had a color code. And uh, he noticed that I put kitchen and bathrooms kind of towards the center of the house and he was like why did you do that i said well you know you cut back on wire cost and plumbing cost you got all the plumbing and wiring close together it's got to go shorter distance mm-hmm. he said that's a good thought mike i said you know you don't want to break the bank you know because I, I so just automatically i was like that and he always boosted me up mm-hmm. and he got and he would tell me things like you know you're so much better than everybody else in your class at this. And my shop teacher would tell me the same thing. And I just thought, oh, yeah, you're just, you feel sorry for the poor kid. I I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the way I looked at it. And, uh, but they saw something in me that I didn't see in myself until, until I got around people my age when I was like 25, 30 years old. And I was like, 
damn, I'm 10 times better than that guy at this. And I'm skill, skill wise, not like better. Like I think I'm better than you, but you know, trade wise, you know, I'm better than you at this. I'm but I am, I am. Nobody does work as good as I do. You know, so that's when I started more believing in myself. So that teacher made a big impact. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, at that point. Yeah. You know, but, but I mean, he didn't keep there, you know. I mean, a a teacher that would have made a real big impact on me would have looked into my life and said, you know what, Mike, won't you come and live with us? Mm. I'll take care of you. I'll be, you know, there ain't no teachers out there like that. You know what I'm saying? But, and there ain't no, and up there, there isn't nobody like that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That was in my uh, circle. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Now, don't get me wrong. There was tons of people. Come on, Mike, you can stay here. Just don't get mom's beer. Oh, man, you might not want to stay here tonight. Mom and Larry's fighting. Well, you remember last time he knocked her teeth out. I mean, it, it wasn't like they were arguing. It was a damn fist fight, pulling guns out. I mean, you know. Uh, going to run up, run the car through the house, you bitch, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, everything up there was either wide open or nothing. There was no consistency. You know what I'm saying? And and that's when I knew, I mean, I it's things like those and the alcoholism and the drugs. And I mean, if you couldn't smoke weed, well, that's nothing. Go get some gold paint. You can huff gold paint. It's got tooling in it. You know, you just spray it in a bread baggie and start huffing it. And I mean, people were doing it everywhere. You know, I'm like, you know, a little bit of pot's okay. Maybe a little bit of beer's okay. But for one, you know, a 14-year-old kid really couldn't get much of that. You know what I'm saying? No money. I mean, not unless you were breaking in somewhere, stealing shit. And there you go. And if you get caught breaking in somewhere up there, they will kill you. They will shoot you. You think it was just based off a of kind of a hopeless feeling? Of yeah, the, it was of the totally hopeless. Atmosphere. Yeah, I, this is a nowhere town. And that's why I say anywhere is better than here. So they get you, your teacher, thank the Lord that you had the opportunity to be in a class or take classes that pulled out your natural strengths and your, mm-hmm. your gifts that you've been given. So how do you develop those? Do you, you, I know that that encouragement carries you and it puts you kind of maybe heads you in a direction. So you start going in that direction. You get into construction. You get into stuff like that. Well, you know, when you got an eighth grade education, you're – your opportunities are slim to none. When you're uh, 15, 16 years old, you know, the chances of you being successful is with no education. And we're talking about 1986, 87. And so eighth grade, you're done. Yeah, I'm pretty much done. Okay. Even though I went to high school for about, I'd say, a year, year and a half, I never really went. Okay. It was go there, eat breakfast, leave, go find lunch. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Okay, what am I going? Who, whose house am I going to for dinner tonight? Mm-hmm. Man, I need me a new coat. I need to go break into a locker and get me a new coat. I need a new pair of shoes. I need, I need this. I need that. Now, were you were you homeless at this time, or were no, you no, just we not? Had a, we had a house, but it, you I mean, just it, weren't going it, home. It, it might have might as well have been an empty shed, bro. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No heat. Uh, no water. I mean, some water sometimes, you know, we had water and sometimes we'd have heat, mm-hmm. you know, it was all my mom could do to keep the lights on. You know, I mean, she's too busy out having fun. You know, I've been a mother since I was 17 and 
I'm 35 years old now or 37 years old, and it's time for me. You kids are grown up. No, we're not. We're, we're 14, 13, 14, 12. We're not grown up yet. Well, good enough. You can feed yourself and wipe your own ass. You know, so, you know, but I wasn't, though. I mean, there's, I wasn't the only one. There's hundreds of kids like that sure. in, in, where I came from. You know, it's, the, it's a depressed area. And you're going to have children like it, neglected, you know, nobody, you know, you know, you got your, I call them rich kids, but you know, their mom and dad both work at the, at the coal mine, you know, they got a nice house with heat and curtains and, and they got an Atari for Christmas and, and, you know, he packs his lunch every day and he's always got $10 when on the field trip, you know what I'm saying? That was a rich kid. You know, that that was a rich kid, you know, where I come from. Down here, he's a broke-ass kid because these parents down here in Atlanta, they buy their kids Porsches, you know, uh, nice-ass cars, jacked-up trucks. I seen a, a a boy up there in Villarica. I know his daddy. His daddy then went out and spent $74,000 on a pickup truck for him and then spent another $25,000 jacking it up and buying the special kind of wheels and this and that and the other. And he always makes sure his kid's got three or $400 in his pocket. You know what I'm saying? There, there was none of those kids up there, but, you know, he would have been looked at as a god, you know. So tell me about that. How did that? How did that work for you? How'd you get out of there? Where'd you go? What got you out? I always wanted to get out of there, and I just man, I mean, I had a bicycle and two feet. You know what I'm saying? Yep. My dad would bounce back and forth. One year he came back, and he was living in Maryland, and then he came back again, and. I'm thinking about headed to Georgia and then he left and then he came back. And uh, when he left, I said, I said, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And I said, dad, take me with you. I can't take you with you. I said, well, I got caught driving a car in Indiana. I got a warrant out for my arrest, blah, blah, blah. I said, I need to get out of here. Well, maybe I'll get you next week. So I just, after that, I just took off. I said, screw it. I made me 20 bucks shoveling snow one day. Mm-hmm. And I was look, I was like, my they had just killed my dog. My dog bit somebody, and uh, they they cut his head off to check him for rabies and this mm-hmm. and that and the other. And I was like, I have nothing to go there and wow. get. I got everything on that I need. Mm-hmm. What am I going to get? Two pair of dirty socks and another pair of dirty insulated underwear. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And I just started walking towards uh, Evansville, Indiana. Okay. And there you go. To catch me a ride. I wanted yeah. to go to California be a I, I really wanted to go to California be a movie star, but we made it to Ackworth. Okay. <laughs> you know, old Crackworth is what we call it nowadays. So you come down here and how did you how do you get started in what you're doing now or what'd you what'd you do to kind of pay the bills or start working? Well, you know, uh I met a guy named Bill Waldrop and uh I was pretty much homeless, and he started working me, and uh, uh, just started making money. And you know, I worked my ass off. And Bill, he paid me pretty good. I mean, for what I did, knew and for what I did. And after working with him for about two or three years, I was pretty much running his business by the time I was eighteen. And uh, uh, I wouldn't say running his business, but 
you know, I'd say, Bill, we need this, 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 this. I'd be at his property loading up trucks. And by the time I was 20, I didn't, I didn't want Bill Waltrip on the job no more. No, you yell and scream too much. You'll leave me and Rusty and my helper here. We'll get a lot more done without you, Bill. Don't you tell me, you know, Bill's, you know, uh, I didn't know it at the time, but Bill liked to put a little quarter gram of crank in his coffee. So when Bill got out there at nine or nine thirty in the morning, his heels were hitting him in the back of the head. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, uh, I didn't know that at the time, but then I now I know. But but uh, Bill finally got to where, you know, you know Michael produces a lot more when I'm not on the job because he's not arguing with me or trying to say, Bill, I want to do it like this for this reason or like that for that reason. So Bill was like, I'm gonna let that young buck go. And I would work 10, 12 hours. I mean, many of men, I, if I got to work with Mike Linder, I ain't working. I ain't doing that shit. I ain't staying out there till nine o'clock at night. I ain't doing that. You know, I, mean, I ain't going to get cussed like that, Bill. Because, I mean, I expected, and I still do, 100%. People say, I gave him 110. No, you can only give 100. That's all you can give. All is all. Mm. You know, so. If you tell me you're giving me 110, well, I need a thousand. I don't need 1.1%. I need all of it, you know. And uh, took me a while to learn that. Took me even after I started my own business, it took me a while to learn that. Look, everybody's not like you, right? Everybody, you know, some people just have the desire to, look, man, I want to work 40 hours a week, go home, play my PlayStation. You know, I work for this company. They take out the taxes for me. They do this. They're my daddy. I can still be a kid all the way until I retire. And then the government, then they'll be my daddy. They'll make sure I get my Social Security check and my, and my welfare and my Medicaid, my this, my that. You know, they just, you know, to me, they just never grow up. They always got somebody being responsible for them. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've never wanted that. I've always wanted to work for myself. I always wanted to be able to, you know, what does it do me to work hard when I'm working for a guy? And me and you're both working for the same guy. Okay. Well, you move like this. And I'm moving like this, but we make the same money. Right. I get started two hours before you. I work two hours after you, but we both make the same. It ain't fair. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of employers, they'll look at you like cattle. They look at, okay, there's my cattle. They're all the same. They're cut out of a, uh, you know, the a rubber stamp. They're rubber stamped. You know what I'm saying? And, and I'm not, I've never looked at myself as a rubber stamp. Like I'm just, I'm just another guy. I'm not just another guy. I'm Michael Linder. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm unique. And I've always felt that way. Even at the, that young age, I felt different, mm -hmm. stronger, uh, faster, meaner, more loving, more caring. I felt more. And um, I always tried to elevate people around me to that, but I didn't know how to do it. Mm. 
You know what I'm saying? I might cuss him. God damn it, let's go. Let's go, let's go, let's go. You know what I'm saying? You can do it. Come on, man. Quit being a whip or very derogatory, I would say. Quit being a puss. Quit being this. Quit being, you know. Now it's like, look, if you want to work hard, you can make this kind of money. Oh, really? Yeah, but you got to work hard. Well, what do I got to do? You know, and and then I've I've taught people, look, you're going to miss a baseball game every now and then. If you're going to make a lot of money, you're going to miss some time with your wife. You're going to miss some time with your kids. You're going to miss some time with your in-laws, with your family. Uh, you know, you might you might be late to a Thanksgiving dinner. You know, you might have to step out of a of a conversation that you're having with your friends to answer a phone call. You know, it's not that that phone call is more important for, than my friends, but it's still, it's work that has to be done, even though you may not want to do it. I did not like staying till 10 o'clock and building fireboxes at night because I could do it on the inside of a house and I got lights. But I sure did like that thousand dollars that I made so I could go buy my kids the nice things I never had or, or get my wife's car fixed or whatever, pay the rent that week, whatever, make our life easier. You know, so, I mean, I, I always knew that I was not afraid to make sacrifices. And I wasn't afraid to make the sacrifice to leave that God-forsaken place up there, up north, southern Illinois. I, you know, I wasn't, couldn't get no worse in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So after after leaving Bill and and starting, did you go start your own business after that, or did you well, still work after, for some people for a little bit? After uh, me and Bill got into it, and I love Bill Walter to this day. I spoke to him the other day. We're great friends. He's my brother. Um, I was laying block, and and to you block masons out there that may be listening. I laid 500 block in one day. I was 22 years old with a helper, and the block got brick in front of him. So you'd never see the block, but I lipped the block because I was laying them fast. I laid 500 block, me and one helper, in one day. Now, just to give you an idea about that, in today's money, that's about $12 a block. I laid 500 of them. So... You know, do the math. That's about $6,000 worth of work. Now, a mason today can make anywhere between three and $500 a day. Okay, so you just paid somebody $500 to produce $12,000 worth of work. Mm -hmm. Bill was very ungrateful. He came out there, bitched, whined, this looks like shit. You done a terrible job. I was like, Bill, it gets brick in front of it. You're never going to see it. I see it now. I said, I said, you know what? You know what? That's the last time you're going to raise your voice at me. That's the last time you're going to cut me down. I said, you know what, bro? Take this job and shove it, brother. I'm out of here. You'll never find another job making $10 an hour as much as I'm paying you. I said, you may be right, Bill. This was in 1992. I was making $12 an hour, though, which was pretty good in 1992 to be 21, 22 years up. So I went to work. I quit him. Oh, he went over there to my truck. He looked through my tools, make sure none of my tools were in there. 
Now, understand, I just made this man in today's money 5000 bucks. This ungrateful bastard is the way I looked at it. I understand he was trying to prove a point about quality and craftsmanship. I understand that. I understand the block were lipping a little bit, which I could go and tell you what that means, but it doesn't matter. Uh, but you had never seen it. Instead of him coming out and saying, Mike, you probably should have slowed down a little bit. You got your block lipping a little bit. You know, I would have been happy with 300 block today, you know, and had perfect work. But I'm glad you got it done because now we can start laying brick in the morning. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm going to make even more money because now the job's ahead of schedule. Uh, all he done was dog me, tell me how shitty a work I done. Uh, you'll never get a job making more money than what you're doing with me. So I went to work for this guy the very next day. My wife says, my, my ex-wife, Tammy, she says to me, she says, hey, this guy named Kelly, he sounded really gay, uh, called you today. And uh, I said, really? Yeah, he said that uh, he does make, he said he owns a masonry business. Uh, uh, Danny told him, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, let me call him up. Hey, y'all kids get in there now because the phone's right there. I said, y'all get in there and play. Be quiet. I'm calling up a guy. I'm trying to get me some work. And I call him up, and he answers, well, hey, goodness, mercy, goodness. Uh, you Mike Lander, uh-huh. He wasn't gay, but that's exactly how he talked. And uh, he said, well, I know you've been working with Bill, and I don't want to steal nobody's help. I wouldn't want nobody stealing my help. And I said, me and Bill got into it. I'm not going back to work for Bill. I work for a guy named Max Gravely right now, but I just can't make it on five hours a day, man. I got, I got to have more hours than that. And he says, well, if, if you don't think it's going to cause a problem with Bill now. I said, me and Bill are done, bro. Done. Okay, well, what do you know? And I tell him, I can read a transit. I can read plans. I can lay brick. I can lay rock. I can lay block. I can, I can grade. I can dig foot. I, what do you need done? What do you, I can run gas line. What do you, I build fireplace. What do you need done? I'm 22 years old at the time. Oh, <laughs> goodness. Kelly's 10 years older than me, 12 years older than me. So he's 34, 35. He says, well, how about you come in on next Monday? I said, how about I come in in the morning? Mm-hmm. And he goes, nah, nah, I got a job. I'm starting on Monday. Come find out. Kelly didn't have, but two guys he had a mason and a laborer, and Danny is a truck driver. That was it. And this old man named Ed Millwood, which, by the way, was the best stonemason I think I've ever I had the privilege to work with. But uh, anywho, uh, Ed didn't have a driver's license. His little helper didn't have a driver's license. You know, so I go to work for Kelly. I got to go pick up his crew. Worked out good for him. And then we went to the job. Well, the first day on the job, I was building stone, co- uh, you know, the pipe that goes under the driveway, the culvert pipe, and then I was stoning the ends of it, making them look good. And I thought I was doing a great job. And old, ma- old man Ed come around there. You got to understand, I'm 22. He's 53, 54, and he looks like hell to be 53 or 50. He's all bent broken from years of hard work and alcoholism and women just, you know, uh, he says, gosh, damn, boy, is that all you got done? I thought you was a worker. I'm like, yeah. 
Uh, I bet you I smoked your old ass, you know. So well, we're going to get lunch. Come on. So we went and got our lunch. and I come back. He goes, I hope like hell you can get both them done today and earn your money. I hope Kelly ain't paying you too much. I said, and I was being very respectful, but that old Illinois come out of me. I was like, well, let's go back here and see what you got done there, Gramps. You know, <laughs> I go back there and I had seen what they had, you know, the block wall was up. This old son of a gun, brother, had done stoned up four foot by about 30 foot long. I was like, most beautiful stuff. I said, you laid all this? He goes, hell yeah, son. I'm going to finish this wall today. 300 square foot of stonework. I was like, good God. I was lucky to get 45, 50, 60 square foot a day. And this old man, I say 400 square foot. It's probably 200 square foot, 210 square foot of stonework. Now, he had a helper mixing his mud and chipping some rock for him. But Ed done 85% of it. No wonder he was looking at my little covert walls and going, Damn, boy, I done had them done, and he probably would have. Mm-hmm. But I had skills in brick. I had skills in other areas. Ed was strictly stacked stone and maybe a little bit of flat work, but that was it. So we worked out there that day. A couple days later, next two days, Kelly worked with us. We started a new job on Tuesday, and we had to dig out and form up the concrete. I poured the concrete, and then he had to have four brick piers. He just left me there by myself. Took Ed and Travis on that other job. So I, I'm laying all that. Come Friday, Kelly kills, you know, you come over here and get you. I pay in cash. I'll write you a little receipt and whatever. So I get over and he says, Mike. And he goes, what do you reckon you're worth? I said, well, you, you can't pay me what I think I'm worth. You know, just being cocky, you know. He goes, uh. He goes, how's $150 a day sound until I can see you do a little bit more work? Because Kelly was the top guy. I want you there at 7. At 3.30, you leave my job. Take 30 minutes for lunch. You get two 15-minute breaks. But at 3.30, mm-hmm. I want you off my job. We don't work overtime. We work five days a week, eight hours a day, and that's it. And then he would let me, later on, he let me work six days a week. But anyway, that was it. And I kind of enjoyed that because I could go home, be with my family. Hell, I'd still go clean some damn roofs and gutters. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't know how much I I got to add that up. That's $18.50 an hour. $19.92, boys. Think about it. No education. I went home and I told my wife, I said, look, threw that $750 on the damn bass and look at that, baby. Look at that. She couldn't believe it. We had hit the lottery, fellas. We had hit the lottery. We went from living on $400 a week, maybe five, to $750 in just five days. Got the weekend off. Going to the flea market. Going to spend that shit. You know what I'm saying? 
going to armor all the tires on the car, you know, because it was literally like hitting the lottery. And, uh, and then I started learning a lot, started learning a lot. Do you feel like this was like when you went to school? That's definitely, you know, I'd learned a lot with Bill. I'd learned a lot of the numbers with Bill at elevations, reading plans and, and stuff like that. And I took Kelly to the next. I took Kelly to the next level and never even knew it. I never knew I was the golden goose. He opened my eyes to how valuable I was to these people. Not saying that he said I was valuable, but how valuable I am to Kelly and Ryan and 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 these architects and these designers. You don't you don't understand your worth, I don't think, Mike. I don't think you understand your worth is what he was trying to, you know, you don't really know how valuable you are to these people in their lives. And you know, and I, I didn't. I didn't really. And uh, you know, it that's when I started realizing, you know, I think I'm worth more than 150 a day. After two years of working with Kelly, you know, I really didn't get a raise or anything like that. I never asked for one. I was happy. I hit the lottery. Well, I looked at it. That's when all, all that time was going on. So tons of work, tons of money. The Olympics was coming to Atlanta at the time. You know, so everybody on Knollwood and Tuxedo Drive and all those places, you know, they're all just doing their houses because the bicycle races are going to be, you know, and Ryan Ganey's just saying, leave an empty checkbook and I'll do your yard if I feel like it. You know, so we was all making tons of money. and. Um, um, Kelly had hired one of the guys that used to work with him when he worked for Mike Norris, the other stonemason. His name was Sandy Simmons. And uh, he came out there one day and he says, hi, I'm Sandy. He goes, he goes, uh, I hear you're a pretty good mason. I, I hear you're pretty fast and you're this and you're that. He goes, well, Hope you're ready for some competition. I said, don't sing it, bitch. Bring it. You know what I'm saying? So I was on one side of the wall laying stone. He's on the other side of the wall. I done worked with Ed for a couple of years, and Ed never did like me. But he liked me. He liked me, but he never did like me. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> I was a cocky ass. I'll throw your old ass in that swimming pool, Ed. F*** with me, boy. I hit you in the head with this hammer, Mike. I hate your guts. You know what I'm saying? But I picked him up, dropped him off every day. And uh, so I'm sitting there laying rock, and I'm, you know, I'm really got it turned on now because Sandy Dunn raised my, oh, you want to compete? You want to compete? Okay. So we're laying rocking. Sandy, he's looking over the wall. Boy, he's over there just dripping sweat. And he's going at it, and he's doing it. And I'm, and I'm just smoking his ass, I mean. 
I look over. I said, what is that, rock number two? Hey, Travis, you don't need to make him no more mud. You know, I'm giving him hell. You know what I'm saying? Hey, you might want to get him a, of a handkerchief or something. Mm-hmm. He's starting to sweat over here. So about noontime, he looks over at wall. He said, you are the god of masonry. He goes, man, I can't believe how fast you are, dude. He goes, Kelly's like, I told you. I, I told you Mike could get it done. You know, that's the way he talked, you know. <laughs> and uh, so a couple of days later, Sandy's like, man, I don't know how much Kelly's going to pay me. And I said, well, he pays me a hundred and a half a day. He said, shit, man, I, I need to make at least a hundred and a half a day, man. I, 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 I got bills, man. I got to make at least a hundred and a half a day. He goes, man, you're underpaid. <laughs> so I went over there and I said, because I was thinking, damn, I'm making a hundred and a half. I'm making a hundred and a half. I'm making a hundred and a half. Keep on telling myself. And I go to Kelly on that Friday. He's sitting out there at lunchtime. He's fixing to get payroll ready, you know, cash only. I said, you know, Kelly, I've been thinking. He goes, what's that? I said, I mean, you know, after working with these guys and these guys, I said, man, I figure I'm worth about two and a half a day. I meant to say two. I said, I figure I'm worth about two and a half a day. And then I said, I said, I mean, you know what? He goes, Mike, consider it done. Consider it done. <laughs> Lottery again! I'm getting a new quadrajet carburetor from a race car. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's and you know, then it was, Mike, you seem unhappy. How about three hundred a day? You know, and that's where I topped out with Kelly in 1997. I was making three hundred dollars a day. Was not ha- went, going through a divorce. Was not happy with my income because I'm still seeing Kelly. I mean, because now I'm making $300 a day. I'm even working harder and I'm working longer hours to make sure I give him that $300 worth a day. Mm. Cause I still got that pride. You know what I'm saying? I ain't trying to get over on nobody. Long story short, I come to Kelly and I said, Kelly, 50, 50. It's where I need to be. All you got to do is price the jobs, land the job. I'll do the rest. I'll talk to designers, architects. I'll lay them out. I'll pour the concrete. I'll form. I'll hire the men. I'll do, I'll do it all. He says, hi, Mike, you just, you just don't bring nothing to the table. I said, what do you mean I don't bring nothing to the table? Well, I mean, it's, it's my truck and my customers and, and, uh, you know, my, my connections. <laughs> Everything's mine. I said, okay, consider this my four-week notice. (laughs) Okay, Mike. Four weeks go by. He pays me my $2,100 because my ass works seven days a week. I'm paying for a divorce. I don't got my kids anyway. Why the fuck? Why stay home? You know what I'm saying? I'm all sad singing, flyer bringing. You know, because my wife left me for a 55-year-old man. Here I am, 27-year-old freaking stud at the time. Didn't realize it, but definitely a stud. You know, 180 pounds, uh, zero body fat. I I didn't have a six-pack. I had an eight-pack. You know what I'm saying? I could stand there and do a backflip. 
in place. You know, my physical attributes were through the roof. And uh, I said, well, Kelly, it's been fun, buddy. It's been real. I appreciate all the opportunity. He goes, well, what are you talking about, Mike? I says, remember I told you four weeks. I gave, um, how, about, how about I give you another $25 a day? I said, you know, Kelly, it ain't even about the money anymore. I said, I think I can do this. He goes, well, if you ever want to come back, just come on back. <laughs> Good and there you go. Start my own business. Out of the back of a short wheelbase Z71 pickup truck. $25 Kmart toolbox with a skill saw, hammer, trial, couple of cold chisels, and extension cord. How much revenue did ML Masonry do last year? 2.8 million. That's amazing. Yep. You got a good business. Yeah, well, right now we do. I mean, but you know, uh, I'll be honest with you. And that's over a 20, 22 year period. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's just what we done last year. I know. I mean, every year. No, no, I know. But you started your business about 22 years ago. I mean, killer money. I was making killer money. And within about three to four years, I had bought dump trucks, bobcats, excavators, uh, levels. I had a good crew. I had good mason. I mean, you know, I sorted these guys out and was teaching them and, and just showing them, you know, the, hey, guys, let's work like this because I done learned. That was number one thing I really taught myself. I learned how to get the most out of men. And it wasn't through, I better you I got to let you. I can do this better you. Can. Hey, man. I know you can lay rock better than what you're doing. If you'll do this and do that, and you need to help him, you know, y'all will get more money. If y'all can get this wall done, Dad, I'll give you 800 bucks. I seen the same look in that little Mexican boy's eye, fresh from Mexico, $800. Let's see, my dad makes $100 a week in Mexico. That's two months worth of work I can get in one day. Y'all get done. I'll give you 800 bucks. Get the column, that little wall done, get the cap on it. I'll send, I'll come over here and clean it up first thing in the morning. Call me when you get it done. Here's your $800, Antonio. You got another? No, but I'll pay you $150 a day to work for me. Okay, okay. And when I get little jobs like this, I'll sub them to you. And just like me, before you knew it, he was 300 a day. And then before you knew it, Mike, I'm starting my own business. I don't, I don't need you no more. I don't need you no more. Okay, Tony, bye. Bye. Hey, hey, Tony. Come by the house. I just threw him a set of keys. Come by the house. I'm going to give you that truck. Start your own business. You need a job? I got a fireplace front over here. If you want. No, no, no. I meet another guy. He's going to pay me more. I said, okay. A week and a half later. Hey, man, this fucking guy don't pay me, man. We'll take him to court. I ain't illegal. Well, that's called getting fucked, Tony. And you just got. I said, but I won't do you that way, bro. Now, you want to go over here and build this column for me? How much you pay? So some, some, some contractors will. Right. Short side. Every, a lot of them will. They're legals. 
Right. A lot of them will. They'll short side the, you know, I would never, I don't, I don't care if you're gay, I don't care if you're black, Hispanic, brown, yellow, green, blue, six foot, two foot, I don't give a damn. If I can make a dollar off of you and you can make a dollar off of me, we got a partnership. That's just the way I see it. And, uh, but before I can put money in their bank, they got to put it in mine first. I mean, that's the only way I'd know to do it. But, uh, you know, I've seen the same desire in some of these guys' eyes. So those are the kind of guys I tried to surround myself with. You know what I'm saying? The people that wanted that same opportunity. And as soon as somebody took advantage of me, and I knew they took advantage of me, gone. Gone. Get out of here. I'll leave their ass sitting in Atlanta. Can't get in my truck and walk your ass back to Villarica. Because I would, if I was done with them, I was done right then and there. Cannot compete with foreign labor. Not using American crew, uh, an American crew. I cannot compete with the Mexican contractor. Can't do it. Aaron cannot get by on nine hundred dollars a week, but Chacon can, because Chacon has seven roommates in that two-bedroom apartment. Aaron doesn't. Mm-hmm. Aaron's got a girlfriend to help him that don't help him financially, and he's got a $1,800 a month house payment or $1,500 with whatever it is. You know, they're paying a buck, buck 75 a month to live where they're at because there's seven of them. $1,500 a month rent. You know, but they all share the, you know, got a couple in this bedroom, a couple in that bedroom, a couple in the living room, one in the, one sleeps in the kitchen. Got a little pallet there, you know. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. I can go. Sh- I can go show it to y'all all day long. You know, we can go down there to Rafa's house. He'd love to have us come. You've known Rafa how long? Uh, since I was seventeen, so thirty-three years. And he's a uh, he's a very skilled mason, isn't he? He's probably one of the best I've ever seen. Yeah. What's his son's name? He's got three of them. Oh, what's the one that comes on the job uh, with? Well, that that was Carlos. Okay. Yeah. And he's got Rafa, Rafa Jr. and Cholo or something like that. I can't remember his other son's name. Yeah. But him and his younger son and his youngest son and his old son supposed to be coming over here. But Rafa's about done. He's 53 years old, I think, 52, 53 years old. He's got... Money. I tried telling him, don't leave until the work falls out, but I think he'd be gone another year or so. You do. I, he's made a lot of money. He's been here. And I've, yeah, he has. You know, he will not subcontract a job for me. I, I, I just got to give him bonuses. You mean he won't uh, get other crews to back him mm, up? No. Nope. He wants to do it all. No, no. He Well, now you got to think about where Rafa comes from and his, uh, the way it is for his life. 
you understand, if he brings another Mason in here, he feels now he's less valuable. You see what I'm saying? He's kind of like hired his replacement. Not that I would ever replace Rafa with anybody. I love Rafa. That's my great friend. I mean, I've do, I've got I've do what what do you what do you how, hey Rafa what's it Mexico where you need ten grand okay no problem buddy it's on its way do what Rafa you want ten grand for get your son okay here you go yeah you don't got to worry about paying me back boys just work hard keep on keeping you need a new truck how about you you know what I'm saying and uh, but Rafa Rafa. He's, I've, I've tried several times to get it. Rafa, God dang, man, I need some Masons. Oh, Michael, I don't know nobody. I don't know nobody. Bullshit. Bullshit, Rafa. I understand there's 1,900 Mexicans in that damn uh, apartment complex. I'm sure there's one of them in there ready to quit their boss and come to work for me for 250 a day. Ah, maybe if I get home, I can ask. No, Rafa goes straight home. Takes him a shower, cooks his dinner and breakfast and lunch for tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And kicks back and watches Univision till nine o'clock. Then he goes to sleep. Day in, day out, six days a week. I don't know what he does on Sunday. I'm sure he goes to the flea market or something. But you know, every now and then I'll get a Facebook Live where he's watching a mariachi band over there somewhere. <laughs> you know. Arriba. It's. I want to talk about the journey you've been on for the last 16 months because some people might describe it as hell on earth. Um, but you've got, would, you've got well. a great attitude and you've got a strong mind. And like I said earlier, a big, strong heart. So you've been able to endure and persevere through a, a difficult 16 months. Um, and I think Brad's heard most of this story, but I'd love for you to share it with our listeners. Well, I got ran over by an Amazon van twice. I could go into depth and detail on it, but boils down. She didn't see me. She thought she had a brick mailbox. She backed up over me. You were on your motorcycle. I was on my motorcycle. And I got life flighted to Atlanta Medical Center where I thought they did the best job that they could do, you know, getting my foot put back on and setting my wrist. I got a broken wrist, broken ankle. Uh, I mean, uh, compound fractures, uh, broken bones, all kind of broken bones in my foot, broke back, seven broken ribs, three surgeries in and out in three days because of COVID. And, uh, uh, and then just a battle of infections and I'm not going to say everything was the doctor's fault, but I've just have not healed up. Uh, I smoked cigarettes and I'm sure that stopped me from healing a lot, but I also got a lot of negligent, um, information from the hospital. And in my opinion, at this point, some poor, some poor, some poor, I got, I got poor work from the doctors. Yeah. I didn't get no good advice. It, they shuffled me in and shuffled me out. And it reminds me of a, uh, you know, I hired a guy one time. He was a decent bricklayer, but he couldn't do nothing else worth a shit. And that's what I got. I got a decent bricklayer that couldn't finish concrete. He, he, he was only good at one thing. 
And the thing that I had going on wasn't his one thing. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure he tried, but I mean, I just got third rate care and, uh, and it was due. And in my opinion, it was due over, well, he's got this kind of insurance and I don't know how much money he's got. Well, and don't they treat all like that's a trauma center, Atlanta. Yeah. You got life flighted there. Yes, I did. The same people that get shot in a street fight, you know, same they, doctors. They get, they, and so they're putting people back together. I mean, they're not, yep. this isn't um, Piedmont Hospital. No. Where, where the people in Buckhead are going and getting operated on. This is Atlanta Medical Center where, right. the, where the gangbangers and the right. and the, the car accidents that are really, really gruesome and gnarly where right. people are laid out all over the road. That's, Parts and pieces brought in. Yeah, they bring in some rough stuff. So you would expect them to, uh, to take better care of you, but unfortunately, I don't think well, a, the system isn't you know, I think, all that good. I think the first initial surgeries – you know, the first three days I was there was great. I think they did what they could do. Uh, but they kept me coming back. That's his insurance is good. Amazon's going to pay for it. Yeah. Bring him back. Come back and see us in two weeks, Mike. Okay. Does it hurt? Yeah. Oh, it's real red. Yeah, it looks like it's getting infected. See you in a week. Your leg was... It almost fell off. Oh, yeah. It was nearly decapitated. Yeah. And, uh, but they kept bringing me back and bringing me back and bringing me back and going, well, it looks a little better. Oh, it looks like you're getting an infection. Here's some antibody. What do I do to it? I just keep it dry and clean. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. No bandages. Not just, bye. You got to go. Your time's up. See you in two weeks. Oh, looks good. Ain't fell off yet. You know, that is the kind of shit that that went on. When in reality, when I went back for my first checkup, they should have said to me, you need a specialist from here on out. We got your foot attached. It's all put together. Here's your x-rays. You need to go see this guy, this guy, or this guy, or this girl, or this girl, or this girl. Hmm. You don't need us anymore. We're here for major con- uh, core wrecks. Uh, gunshot wounds. We're here to keep the beeper beeping up and down and not flatlining. You know, and we've done our job with you. What really should have happened, John, in hindsight, you know, hindsight's 2020, bro, you know. Uh, Mike, your leg's back on. We need to recommend you to somebody else for a trauma center. We don't, you're, we don't do impatient. We don't take care of people like this. You know what I'm saying? We we got your leg back on. It's stitched up. It's in a brace. You need to go see orthopedic surgeon, foot and ankle specialist from here on out. Yeah. I think they didn't want to send me to somebody else. And, I, and this is just how I feel, and I could be wrong. I could be very, 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 very wrong. I don't think they wanted to send me to anybody else because they didn't want somebody else to go, what the hell did y'all do to this guy? Where's his external fixator? Why ain't you got him on antibiotics? Why'd you leave that dead skin on his leg? Why ain't y'all flushing this out? How come he hasn't got a TENS unit on this? Why isn't he in rehab? Why is he not in the hospital? Yeah. I think that's why they didn't want to send me somewhere else. Yeah. 
Just my opinion. I don't think they wanted somebody else to go, Linda, you need to sue Atlanta Medical Center. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's one thing that we've all been able to see and learn over the last year is even doctors can be terribly wrong. And um, yeah, with no common sense. Yeah. Yeah. We got a bunch of bunch of so-called professionals acting like crazy people because of a, a virus that is a. I don't know. Phil. That's 100 percent reason why I've got the care that I've gotten is because of the, the fake coronavirus. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry, there. it's not fake. I know it's a real deal. So is the flu. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I know coronavirus has killed people. I, I do. And so has the flu. And so has diabetes. And so has cancer. And so has, you know, traffic accidents. You know, there's always going to be a certain amount of fatalities for everything. Uh, I'm sure there's people, there's people that die that operate cranes, that drive big trucks, that, that walk across the road. It's no sense in shutting down the damn nation over it. I got a couple of comments. Uh, Michael, I just want to affirm you, like, uh, in who you are. Like, it's amazing to me that, you know, I know a lot of people, not a lot of people. I know a few people that have been raised hard, very challenging uh, circumstances, whatever those reasons they were brought up, whether it's uh, family inflicted, you know, the area you're in is a bad area or both. And for for you to take the path that you took is a miracle. And, uh, and I know that you know that. Uh, and and I, between me, you and the fence post here, Brad, not calling you a fence post, bro, but figure speech. Luck had a lot to do with that. I, I was, I was, you know, I, ha- I must have had a horseshoe up my ass, you know, cause, you know, I know a lot of people that started off where I did and they didn't make it. Yeah. I call yeah. it Providence, but it's the same sentiment. Yeah. You know, you've, you've been blessed and. Yep. I just, you know, I just commend you for for taking the road that you did, and for oh, I appreciate that. having having the drive, having the determination. But not only that, but like this this kind of pay it forward mentality that you have, and understanding that um, what you what you have has been a gift, uh, coupled with the determination and the work ethic that you have, but that you equip and empower other people to do that and help oh, yeah. help teach them about right. that. I feel like that's something that's so lacking in totally. today's, and you know, the, you talked about the guy that, um, you know, had, had family money and I just feel like he never found his identity or his purpose because it was, it's almost like his purpose was taken out by this other stuff that kind of came in the mm-hmm. way, which was probably well-intended, but it wasn't handled the way that it needed to be handled. Right. Poor old Mick. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt that he, uh, was a lost soul. No. Uh, you know, and that's what I try to do with a lot of my guys that, that work with me. You know, I don't want them, I, you know, and if you if you heard me say work with me, mm-hmm. nobody works for me. Nobody. I won't allow that. Mm-hmm. You can work with me, though. And I can work with you. And we can make money together. And we can be partners. That's good. You know, uh, I don't want I, the, you, you. And a lot of people don't understand this. Uh, the more you get from me, 
the more you want to do for me. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? So, yep. so if I'm given all these opportunities, why would you want to go anywhere? Why would you want to bust up that partnership? Right. I'm giving you, I'm getting from you. I'm giving to you. You're giving to me. Uh, here's your, I went out and caught the fish. Here you go. Yeah. You clean it and we'll split it 50 50. Yeah. I could never, I could never wrap my mind around it. I understand why it happens, but I couldn't, I couldn't stand it when somebody would do the, you know, we'll do a deal and then I'll just take everything from it and then just move on to the next one instead of trying to cultivate that relationship and that working together over time. Hey, well, Michael, I I wanted to tell you that um, if, if I were in the army or the armed services and I had a drill sergeant, I would want them to be someone just like you. I feel like you bring out the best in, in people around you. Oh, I try to. And you have a way of, um, of giving them a version of love that is, um, we need more of. People need to be told kind of hard, truthful, honest things, but also done in a way where there's, um, encouragement and, and opportunity. And, um, anyway, it's, it's cool to think about kind of this, the, the times that we're living in. People like you really do stand out. You've always stood out, but especially now, especially now. Um, you know, we're, we're in some version of a battle, it feels like. We feel like we're, it's, 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 it's difficult in some respects dealing with the world right now and all these crazy people. I mean, you, you see what's going on in Atlanta. I mean, it, it's, it is dangerous in Atlanta. Now, I don't want to get too distracted with the crime in Atlanta, but, I'm, but I do want you to know that you, you have that ability where it, people might not want to hear it, but they need to hear it. And you can deliver um, just a stern word or a bit of encouragement. And it, it's cool. You're, you're a really, you would have been or you are a really good drill sergeant. Now, Brad on the, on the battlefield, he's a scout. He has the ability to look ahead. He can see things coming and anticipate Before them coming. they get there. And, and report back. So everyone has these different, these gifts. Um, and and I, I, that's I, what makes a great team is the different gifts. Yeah, that everybody has. I agree. And that's why I wanted just to point out one of the gifts I see in you is because, man, it's it's huge. And the best is yet to come. I really believe it, man. You've, you've got little Blakey out there. Oh, man. Beautiful wife. And you've yeah, got a I, long, big life. I hope so. Left in front of you. And I don't care. It, you know, like I told us, I said, I don't give a damn if I got a peg leg or not. I don't need a damn leg. Cut the son of a bitch off. I don't give a damn. Yeah, I do give a damn, but I don't. I, I will still live my life. No matter what happens, I'm still going to live life. I might have to lean on Brad. I might have to lean on you. I may have to lean on some people. But, hey, you can lean back. You know what I'm saying? Because you get two weights pushed against each other. We can lean into each other, you know. Well, that stinks. The very end of this episode got messed up, but it's okay. Michael, thank you for being on. You're just a great person, a good friend. 
very strong, driven, loyal man. But he's also a dreamer. One of the things that didn't get communicated enough in this episode at all was how Michael is a dreamer. I love dreamers. The other thing that's cool about Michael is he is just a bright light. Everywhere he goes, he shines. Michael, thank you. Everybody else, I hope you'll subscribe to this episode. I hope you'll rate it. I hope you'll review it. And I want to thank Brad Willoughby, my co-host, Levi, our musical director, Hassan, our web guru, Jackson, our equipment man, Savannah, our artist and graphic help, and lastly, Milos, our audio engineer. Thank you all very much. Everybody else, please go to thepressbushshow.com and register for our email list. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.